I told the 8 a.m. service that singing that song before you preach is kind of like listening to We Will Rock You before you play a football game. It just gets the blood flowing, doesn't it, Jacob? Yes, it does. Amen. Bow with me, please. Father God, this morning uh, we're going to open your word. We're going to talk with you. We're going to talk about your son. We're going to talk about his story. Father, allow, uh, allow your words to land on our hearts. Allow your spirit to be the net that captures this information and allow your spirit to grow and to guide us from this point forward. God. Father, more than anything, my prayer this morning is that in the places where we are broken, fill those voids and create something beautiful. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to look in your bulletin on the back and you're going to see a little bit different structure. I've included this morning three questions that are intended to follow along with the lesson, but they're also intended to give you something to take with you this morning, whether it be to your lunch table, to your dinner table tonight. If you have a small group that you meet in, my prayer would be that you take this, these three questions, talk about them in your small group. It's to give you something to process the sermon with um, and, and, and keep it fresh. Make it yours. Talk about what it means to you. These three questions this morning that you'll see me highlight throughout the course of the sermon is think of a time in your life when you knew Jesus was real and present. Then write out your personal conclusion to this sentence. Jesus became real when? So the question is, when did Jesus become real to you? When did you meet Jesus at that deepest point that he really became real, he really took hold in your life. The second question is this. What does bankrupt in spirit mean to you? When have you experienced it in your life? And the third question is, how could you describe the blessing of being poor in spirit from your personal perspective? How would you explain it to someone else? Of what it means to be poor in spirit? Because these are all things we're going to look at this morning. And then hopefully you'll take it and have a deeper conversation and make it your own. It's a very important part of what I want to get across this morning. I'm going to be preaching um, from a book that I read, and I want to take just a second and thank the entire congregation for giving us an opportunity to be away for a couple weeks and rest. Um, a lot of times on vacation, I've always sat, and, and for one moment in my life in that time, I'm still, which doesn't happen a lot with me. And in that stillness, I usually think about all my blessings. And I'll, I'll usually take some time to thank my wife and thank the kids and all these things. But I have to tell you, this vacation worked a little different. Because on the airplane on the way there, I read this stinking book. The End of Me by Kyle Eidelman. Where real life in the upside-down ways of Jesus begins. And what this book's all about is landing and figuring out what your brokenness is and then allowing God to fill it and begin to raise you up. And so I sat for the first week of my vacation thinking about how broken I was. And man, I'm broke. And I've got news. So are you. <laughs> it's going to be a great sermon. We're all broke. This is a room of brokenness. And thank God 
We have a God looking down on us saying, I've got the answer. I will fill you up. Jesus most often becomes real when we own the depth of our brokenness. And it becomes so important at that point. Because that's when we begin to see what Jesus is doing for us in our lives spiritually. See, when God looks down on the earth, he sees brokenness. He sees, a, and I'm going to call it a landfill this morning because I have an illustration I want to share with you. And I want to show you just a little bit about what I think God can do with brokenness. But let's look at this illustration of something that maybe we'll understand just a bit more superficial. One person's treasure is another's violin in this slum built on a landfill in Paraguay. Here in Asuncion, a group of young musicians come together to play everything from Beethoven and Mozart to Frank Sinatra and the Beatles on instruments made entirely from trash. The orchestra of recycled instruments from Katera got its start here five years ago when a teacher, Fabio Chavez, decided to teach kids living near this garbage dump how to play musical instruments. Lacking money to buy enough instruments, he recruited the help of residents who make a living picking through and recycling trash. Soon, with the community's help, Chavez and his students had their instruments, all made from recycled materials from the dump. They include guitars made from cans, cellos from metal drums, and brass instruments like 18-year-old Andre Rivera's saxophone made from house gutters. The instrument is made of galvanized pipe used in house gutters. Then this is made with caps, coins, and these are keys from doors. Chavez said he started the music group to keep the children out of trouble. There are a lot of drugs, a lot of drug use, alcohol, violence, child labor, a lot of situations that you wouldn't think are favorable for kids to learn values. However, they have a spot in the orchestra, like an island within the community, a place where they can develop these values. We see that they are not just changing their own lives, but those of their families too. We've seen cases where parents with addiction problems have quit taking drugs to go to their kids' concert, and in a lot of cases the parents have gone back to finish school because their kids are being seen all over and they think they are going forward, I want it too. They're not only changing their lives, but the lives of their families and their community. Miriam Cardozo said she once dreamt of being a singer or musician. When she heard about the music program, she enrolled her 14-year-old granddaughter, Ada Rios. I went to sign her up. I didn't care what my daughter-in-law said, because I was doing it for my granddaughter. And if she got mad, let her get mad or deal with it. And then they were astonished, because I signed her up and it happened. And now my granddaughter is fulfilling my dream. It makes me so happy. That is why I can die happy. Ada, now a violinist in the orchestra, lights up when she talks about her experiences, including performing in three countries this year. The people can't believe it. They have to see it to believe it, because they don't believe it is trash. I've been to three countries, Brazil, Panama and Colombia, and I never thought I'd leave the country. The orchestra hopes to perform in Arizona in 2013. Fabio Chavez went into this community of 100 people where 1,500 tons of trash and debris is dumped every week. And he didn't see brokenness. I mean, he saw poverty. He smelled poverty. But he didn't see brokenness. What he saw was hope. 
And he saw a place where hope could be built amongst the people that needed hope. And he began to work that way. And, you know, God, God it's similar with God in that. Can you imagine he's Jesus comes from a place like heaven, a place of glory to the landfill of a broken earth, but not with the vision of brokenness and the smell of, of nastiness, but with the hope that comes with belief taking that brokenness and turning it into something more. And that's what God wants to do with every one of us. But but here's here's the issue. The issue is we have to meet him in our brokenness. I'll show you how that works for just a second. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter five. We're going to start with Jesus's initial teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. One of the greatest sermons of all times, Jesus comes to a mountainside and he gathers his disciples around him. And everybody, I would have to believe at this point, thinks, man, here's going to come a powerful sermon. This is going to be a powerful message. And here's Jesus's opening words. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said this. Think about the moment. What's he going to say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine these guys are sitting around looking at each other? He said poor. He got that word wrong. He meant he meant rich. He meant the the wealthy in spirit, the strong in spirit. He had to mean that Jesus, Jesus, you said the wrong word. No, he said poor in spirit. Now, the word in the original language, as we read it. It teaches more like destitute or bankrupt. And our, our, a better word in our language we'd like to use is broke. Jesus says, blessed are the broke or broken in spirit. And what Jesus is telling them here is that blessed is the person that comes to a point in their own spirit where they're broken and they can acknowledge that and they can own that. And then they can give that spirit to God and he can fill it in with his Holy Spirit. It begin to raise them up. That's the te- that's the context of this message right from the very beginning. But here's the problem. It's so counterintuitive to what they believed. And it's counter to what we believe as well. Part of the enjoyment on vacation that I was taught was to take binoculars and watch other people's boats go by. OK, um, I'm not sure I ever got it, but it was fun. And what I would say is we were on a nice little boat. It was nice. It was nice. But there are some boats out there that are unbelievable. There are boats out there with garage doors on the back of them. And when the garage door opens, another boat comes out that was still bigger than the boat that I was on. And it was pulling a dinghy that was about the size of the boat I was on. It's unbelievable. And you would sit and think, man, blessed are those people. But in that moment... When I was kind of thinking about my brokenness and everything, and I looked around and I looked at my company, my brothers and sisters in Christ, God's word, my wife, the love of my church family and the love of the world around me. My brokenness is a huge blessing. And I wonder, I wonder if the person that has everything experiences that. Now, this is illustrated in a wonderful, wonderful way in Scripture. And if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 7, we're going to read an illustration that Jesus offers from his Gospels. 
Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 36. You've heard this story many, many times. But this is the best illustration that we have of the rich in spirit versus the poor in spirit. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned money to a certain money lender. One owned him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my, my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Did you put oil on my head? But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As, her, as for her great love is shown. But, how, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said this to her. Your sins are forgiven. Now, interesting point. This Pharisee, who knew all the rules, was well versed in how you treated a guest at your home. He knew that the guest's feet were to be washed. That the guest was to be greeted with a kiss on perhaps the hand or the cheek. He knew that the, the guest was to have his head anointed with oil. He was to be the guest of honor. He knew all these rules and he disregarded all of them. Who did he think was in charge? He was pretty high on himself to think he had that kind of clout. To just get rid of. And by the way, this Pharisee, he didn't invite Jesus because he was just totally excited and exhilarated about what Jesus brought to the table. Is that the way you treat someone you're excited about coming over to your home? No. But in fact, this woman who the Bible does everything it can do not to not to just point out what the woman is. She's a prostitute in the community. This woman comes to Jesus in her brokenness and at his feet uses her tears to wet his feet, the water that should have been given to Jesus by Simon, her hair to wipe his feet, the towel that should have been given to Jesus by Simon. She kisses his feet time and time and time again, the kisses that should have been offered in greeting by Simon. And she pours the whole jar of perfume on his feet when it would have only taken a drop. The same perfume that should have been provided by Simon. Who's poor in spirit here? Who's broken the most? 
And that's the question that that the Bible here and what I hope this illustration challenges us to do, because sometimes we get to that point where where we feel like we've got it right. We've got everything right. And what I want to warn us about is that we, the people who are sitting in here and feel that we are strong in the faith and that we have everything going on, we are one bad decision away from being that person. We are one bad mistake away from being that broken. We're one one of our kids' bad decisions away from being a broken parent. We're one bad financial situation or decision away from being that person who's broke, that person that we're not sure about. We're one bad choice away from being that family that maybe we don't want our kids to hang out with their kids. Sometimes what we, what we seem and feel like we have everything going on, that's not necessarily the case. Simon in this story, appears to be someone who has it all going on. And this broken woman crashes this party where she had nowhere to be. And yet, who does Jesus, and what does Jesus do with her brokenness? He fills it and he lifts her up. I want us to see this morning that, and I want to own this, because as I spent the week preparing and thinking and and just contemplating, I really was evaluating all the different ways that I'm broken. And you know what? I'm not sad about that. I don't feel guilty about that. I'm not troubled by that. Because I know that every way that I can own that I'm broken is a way that God can step in with His Spirit and fill me up. And my purpose this morning is to bring you a message to not allow guilt and shame and frustration to drive where you go in Christianity from here. But to sit back and understand that brokenness, evaluate that brokenness, and let God go to work because that's where you're going to meet Him and that's where He's going to become real. Turn, if you will, to Jeremiah 18. And I'll close this morning with thoughts from the Old Testament. This is a story that happens at the house of a potter. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot was was, the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not afflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up or planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. What I want us to hear this morning is that in our brokenness, we're clay in the potter's hands. Jesus isn't going to see your brokenness and just decide to discard you. He's going to keep working on you. And He's going to create in you something beautiful and wonderful. He's going to fill in all the gaps. 
He's going to raise you up out of that brokenness to be something useful and wonderful and beautiful. And at the same time, at the same time, the challenge is if if you feel like you're all that. I would say this. I would say that every every piece of pottery I've ever seen has a void in it somewhere. We are all broken. And instead of being embarrassed, instead of instead of of being ashamed and and instead of using it in, in this setting to challenge people and drive people by guilt, rather let's embrace it. Let's embrace every person that comes through that door that's broken and say welcome to our party of brokenness. Jesus is here. His spirit is plentiful. And he's ready to fill us all up. Let's be filled together. Let's be filled together. Let's love God by meeting Him in our brokenness where we're at because He's there. He's waiting. Don't wait another day. Don't be ashamed. Don't feel guilty. Just be convicted that God is there and He wants you there with Him. Stand aside.